Support for Pivot comes from Vanta. When it comes to ensuring your company has top-notch security practices, things can get complicated fast. Now, you can assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more with a single platform, and that platform is Vanta. Vanta's market-leading trust management platform helps you continuously monitor compliance alongside reporting and tracking risk. Plus, you can save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. To learn why thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection, unify risk management, and streamline security reviews, watch Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com slash pivot. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash pivot to watch Vanta's on-demand demo. Support for Pivot comes from Pendo. Pendo improves the apps your customers and employees rely on. Whether you're building applications for customers or managing applications for employees, Pendo can help deliver better experiences for your users so they can get more value from your software. Visit pendo.io slash pivot to learn more about how your team can use Pendo to start building better digital experiences. There you can also check out Pendo's lineup of free certification courses, 12 hours of in-depth training for your product management teams on topics from AI to product analytics to product-led growth. That's pendo.io slash pivot to learn more. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. Scott Galloway is still out trying to get cast in The Bachelor. So I'm joined by my brother, Dr. Jeffrey Swisher, chair of the Department of Anesthesiology at California Pacific Medical Center. Jeff, how are you? I am great. How are you doing, Kara? Good, good. We have a lot to talk about today. I'm bringing in my brother because many people on Twitter have called for it, really. I know. I want to thank all the my fans on Twitter and <laughs> Dr. Subramanian uh, yeah. in particular, and uh, okay. several have asked for me to be here. So great. Well, I am only here not because you're my brother, because you have a lot of information I need. Uh, as Good. you know, I'm stuck in a house with our mom because mm-hmm. we got near my cousin's <laughs> partner who had COVID, and here I am. So I have a lot of questions. Where we our tests yeah. are. are I I, I kind of feel like I what uh, Donald Jr. must feel like, or, uh, you know, <laughs> Megan McCain or something, you know, as far as nepotism goes, but uh, I'll take <laughs> it. Okay. You'll take it. But here yeah. I am. You've got to get me out of this house with Lucky. Okay. Anyway, um, so let's start just, but before, let's talk to a couple of things. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, there's an update on the story about Catholic priests. You and I are both lapsed Catholics. Mm-hmm. Um, and Grinder, the conservative news blog, The Pillar, put out more reporting on cell phone data that seems to show priests using the gay hookup app. Not a surprise to either of us, of course. Right. The first report led to the resignation of Monsignor uh, Jeffrey Burrell in late July. There have been two reports since then. The latest reports didn't name names, but claim more than more use of the app in the U.S. and at the Vatican. So, what do you, what do you think about this? I mean, it's it's an you know we're we we are well we didn't really, we haven't been in the church in years. But what is this this outrage of uh, is is the bigger outrage priests violating their celibacy or the privacy? Well, for, okay. First off, I, I don't think you were ever confirmed. I, I don't believe. Yes, you I were. was. Really? Yes, I, I, I don't remember. Yes. I think I remember. I, yes, I, I had was. a white dress. Yes. All right. That's fine. So Jeffrey Burrell, now he, he was the guy, uh, wasn't he the head of the U.S. Conference of Bishops? He's the yes. guy who yes. wanted to deny Joe Biden con- uh, the ability yes. to take communion. Isn't that yes. correct? There is a hypocrisy going yes, on, Jeffrey. Yes, yes. A great hypocrisy. He's also the person who was extraordinarily anti-LGBTQ rights. He wanted to deny them adoption rights. He wanted to do all kinds of this is often uh, the case. pretty horrible things. This is often the case. And often yeah. self-hating yeah. So he deserves it? Yes. He deserves yeah. privacy violations? Well, no. Actually, so this is there's all kinds of yuck here, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the fact that Pillar, which is the organization which looked into you know him, were tracking his cell phone movements. They were tracking which sites he visited from, I, mm-hmm. I suppose, metadata uh, and actual data itself. I mean, the fact that that's available should scare everybody. So I, I don't think there's any winners here. I mean, I think it's gross on both sides. I think this group of people has an agenda. You know, this pillar, it's, it's a sort of the concern. They're sort of attacking uh, Pope Francis. There, mm-hmm. There's a whole fight going on within the Vatican, the more liberal wing, just like there mm-hmm. are, is in this country, like everywhere else. And and they are using this, which has, you know, been an issue for many years. Um, in, in a lot of ways, it's not the same as the scandals around pedophilia, because these are presumably consenting adults. Um, and at the same time, they've made a vow of celibacy. So I think what's difficult here is the people that are doing this, pretending they're trying to help morality in the church are really right. just doing it for their creepy political uh, agendas, and, yeah. I think. Well, keep in mind that celibacy in the priesthood is actually 
a relatively you know modern thing. Yeah. The Council of Trent in 1563. You're going to was, the Council of Trent, but go yes, ahead. actually it goes before that. It, it goes <laughs> to the, the, the Lateran Council of 1139. Yeah. Uh, where they they did everybody that. But, Jeff got but, into Stanford and I didn't. But go the, ahead. Go the ahead. Council of Nicaea, which was even yeah. before that, oh which was God, Constantine, no. No. they no, actually uh, rejected the fact that uh, okay. priests should not be celibate. But the point bring is, bring it up. Bring it up is, to the modern it's day. It's not please. dogma. It is it is regulation. The Pope tomorrow could say priests could get married, and that would yeah. be fine. So yeah, the whole an, concept of celibacy is a very unusual one, I think. This catching stuff is just, I, I go on the privacy side. I don't care how hypocritical it is. I think the privacy issues are much more important here I in 100% terms of agree. tracking I agree. people and, and being able to use these apps. Let's differentiate between pedophilia and homosexuality. Yes, They're totally different things, right? Totally, totally, 100% totally, different. Like, obviously. But, they're, you know, this, this, is a, this is a bigger, wider problem in the Catholic Church. But it seems like in this case... Tracking these priests is as creepy as it is tracking anybody. anybody Absolutely. I'm not for outing people in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the big Jeopardy controversy. This is Jeopardy! Just to bring everyone up to speed, Sony named the show's EP, Mike Richards, as the new host, along with Mayim Bialik. Then the report came out in The Ringer about sexist and racist comments he'd made in the past, and he stepped down. I just, I don't want to talk about it a lot. I don't know if you watch Jeopardy. I know some of our relatives do. do. Who, who, who are you for as the host? You know, I love LeVar Burton. I really right. like him. And I think that he would be great. I don't think his inter- his uh, his tryout was all that great. I think he stumbled yeah. a few times. He also wasn't given the full opportunity. I think he only had right. five shows versus the 10. But, yeah. you know, the fact that this guy, Mike Richards, uh, was Pushed the executive way. producer, and he's the one who chose the people, and he chose himself. Well, uh, he, big, they supposedly, he put himself out of whatever. that. Whatever. I mean, the whatever. point is, yeah. is that, I mean, little... I, you know, I think it, the whole controversy is kind of silly and overblown, but I mean, what's going to be the next Jeopardy category? Like mammary glands, silly names for a hundred, you know, I'll take uh, that for a hundred. Uh, this you know, is just referring to a, a podcast this guy did, which was in plain sight. It's amazing. Sony didn't check. Tony Vinciguerra, I know very well, the head of Sony. I'm shocked he didn't check. Um, but nonetheless, you want LeVar Burton and I want Ken Jennings. I think, I, I I think he'd be good. I think it'd be nice to have a woman and it'd be great to have a yes. woman of color too. I mean, I think well, that'd be they fantastic. also, that is true. They have Mayan Bialik, who is going to yeah. be a, a, a host of specials or Correct. stuff like Special that. Stuff. That's Blossom, yeah. of yeah. course, yeah. for those yeah. who yeah. don't know. But she's fantastic. She is indeed. So lastly, before I want to talk mostly about medical stuff. Let's start. The White House is pushing Joe Biden's plan to lower the cost of prescription drugs, letting Medicare negotiate prices with drug makers. The administration is selling this as a winning issue for House Democrats. What is it a win for patients? What do you think about this? I, I do, actually, you know, because Medicare, um, as the rules as they uh, exist, don't allow uh, the government to or you know people to negotiate for drug prices. But mm-hmm. I don't know if you've looked into it, but I'll be 65 in four years and uh, ready for Medicare. And I'm going to start studying now. I mean, literally understanding how Medicare works between Part A, Part B, Part C, mm-hmm. Part D. So what you're talking about here is the Part D part of Medicare, which is the prescription drug coverage. And it's very complex. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, most people over age 65 uh, are on medication. I mean, I'm on two uh, at age uh, 60, 61. And... Um, the importance uh, to the senior population can't be uh, uh, overstated. So bringing the prices down. Maybe. Absolutely. And they're a voting block. And I think that the Democrats can bring in that cohort by helping out their lives. I mean, it's insane what the prices of some drugs are. I mean, like take insulin, which mm-hmm. is something that is needed by so many people. The prices have skyrocketed over the years. And you yeah. know, that doesn't even count some of these other more expensive medications that yeah, And you many were going about delays in getting them because of various things. There was, I think, a, a hurricane or something like that, or a tsunami yeah. at yeah. some one place where they were making. You're an anesthesiologist, so you use a lot of drugs. I mean, I not... do, but I use them in the operating room. I, yes, I, I'm not correct. a prescriber, actually. You yeah. know, I mean, well, yeah. I do, I have the ability to prescribe, but my drugs yeah. are actually given by me in the operating room to patients directly. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. we have a shortage, I mean, of drugs in the operating room. It's, it's insane about which drugs are always on shortage. I get a list every day of what drugs that are basic medications that I, you know, have to come up with alternatives. So for. will the ability to negotiate help that? Or is that, is that I don't just know. I don't know about drug shortages. That's a more of a function of manufacturing and supply. But I think the, 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 the drug prices um, is something which, you know, you negotiate with different insurance companies uh, for different prices. So the same drug, depending on the insurer, uh, there was an article, I guess, in the New York Times yesterday that I read about the price of an MRI, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the same MRI with different manufacturers, 
you know, the, the price could by 4x can change the price. Right. Now, that's not the price that the patient pays necessarily, uh, you know, unless it's self-pay. But that's but, it. But yeah, but that being said, I mean, it's crazy, the system. It's a patchwork system. So that you're going to study it for four years and you're a medical doctor before you figure it out? No, no. I, I don't know many medical doctors who understand Medicare nor understand drug pricing. I mean, we hire people to do this for us uh, uh, yeah. to yeah. figure out our insurance. Uh, oh, okay, Jeff, time for our first big story. The FDA has given full approval to Pfizer's COVID vaccine, which makes it the first COVID vaccine to go from emergency use authorization to full FDA approval. Explain it for the people in very pithy terms. Explain what that means. Okay, so do you remember, um, well, let's just start with uh, FDA approval of a medication. So the FDA, um, uh, manufacturers apply to the FDA for approval of a drug, and they have to submit all kinds of data, uh, patient trials, they have to do phase yeah. one trials, phase two trials, and it's a huge amount of work and expense to get a drug approved through the FDA. Um, so in this particular case, uh, the mRNAs were really, uh, even though they've been worked on for many years uh, for other right. indications. Um, like 15 years. Yeah, for a long time. They really rushed, uh, and with a lot of data to back it up, the mRNA approval uh, for the Pfizer vaccine. And so they got what's called emergency use authorization uh, you know, even before that, you can have what's known as compassionate use authorization. Uh, for instance, we'll, I guess we'll talk a little later about Regeneron. Mm -hmm. uh, but when President Trump got the antibody cocktail, now this is not the Pfizer drug, but the antibody, mm -hmm. he got that under compassionate use before it had the EUA. So right. Pfizer and all the other mRNA vaccines um, and, and the Johnson & Johnson, which is an adenovirus vaccine, has... Uh, EUA right now, emergency right. use emergency. So what is the difference? Full approval makes people feel like it's real, right? Presumably or something. I guess. I mean, I don't think that most Well, they've been people, using it to say, I'm not going to get the vaccine. I so understand. does it make it easier for schools I mean, and workplaces to that, enforce vaccine requirements? Yes. I think the le that is important. It, it, it allows, it gives cover for people to basically say, you know, yeah, we can enforce these vaccine mandates. Uh, you know, my hospital has a vaccine mandate, um, yeah. you know, um, as of September 20th, I believe you have to be vaccinated. What about peace of mind? You were telling me about people that you were treating that didn't mm -hmm. have the vaccine and what you're seeing in San Francisco. Explain. Not just people I was treating, but I mean, people I work with. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I had a long and very heated conversation with one of the surgical techs the mm -hmm. other day. Uh, he's not vaccinated. And I was like, why aren't you vaccinated? He says, well, because it's not approved. I said, it is approved under EUA. I said, but a lot of things that you do are not approved. I mean, there's a mm -hmm. lot of off-label use of medications. And then he said, well, you know, I don't want to take it because they're making me. And I'm like, well, they make you take polio vaccine. They make you take mm -hmm. measles, mumps, rubella. I mean, the list is enormous. Mm -hmm. If you join the military, it's like 15 vaccines you have to have. Sure. Um, so I, I don't really understand this argument. I think it's So what did you tell out. him? You had heated. What, how did you kick him out of the... No, you know, as of September 20th, he's not going to be able to work there. I mean, mm -hmm. this is, you know, but uh, I mean, it's difficult to argue with people who've already made up their mind about something and, you know, logic doesn't seem to work on them. Yeah. Um, so what do you so, do? What do you do? I mean, you're seeing a, 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 most of the people hospitalized that you're seeing are unvaccinated, correct? Well, interesting. Um, you know, Israel is the great place to look at uh, for mm -hmm. that data because they have the longest uh, history uh, and we're not talking that long. I mean, remember, this, mm -hmm. this isn't that old a, a virus. Yeah. You know, we're talking about early 2019. Um, so, but they got people vaccinated early. And if you look at the Israeli data uh, right now, it's actually about 50-50 unvaccinated versus vaccinated who are mm -hmm. getting sick. But still, the vast majority of people hospitalized, hospitalized, that's what hospitalized you're not infected, mm -hmm. but hospitalized are unvaccinated. Um, I looked at the numbers from my hospital today. And actually, about two-thirds are unvaccinated. One-third is fully vaccinated. Mm -hmm. um, so I think as we uh, as immunity wanes from... In the, the hospital. In the hospital. In, in right. the hospital. That doesn't necessarily mean in the ICU, intubated or prone or anything Those like that. Those are mostly unvaccinated, correct? Mostly unvaccinated. And then if you look at the death rates, the people who are dying as a result of COVID now, mm -hmm. um, they are the vast majority. We're talking about fractions of percent who are unvaccinated. Uh, most people are unvaccinated who are dying. Uh, yeah. Delta is a different beast, though. And, and I think some of the data coming out of Israel shows that the Delta virus, uh, not only is it more infectious, but it potentially is more lethal as well. 
More lethal. Uh, and you know, I, I'm stuck. I am not joking. I'm actually, we, we, someone in our family got uh, COVID, even though he had been vaccinated. And then we had lunch with him outside mostly. We were inside for a very short amount of time, but we were sitting here trying to figure out if, you know, just getting tested, which is mm-hmm. because of, because of the, um, because of the, the virulence of the infection here. But the administration is rolling out booster shots for many Americans starting September 20th, speaking of that date. First off, what, is there a difference sure. between a booster and a third shot? Or is no, that the it's same the same thing? thing. It's the same thing. Okay. Uh, a booster, I mean, the whole point of a booster is to spike your immune system again. Right. And remember, I mean, unfortunately, immunology is really complex. You know, when you talk about immune, immune um, you know, status, you're mostly talking about, you know, antibody levels, B cells. Uh, mm-hmm. Remember, there's another set called T cells, which are right. T memory cells. So the idea is to spike the immune system by activating T memory cells to produce more antibodies to build your antibody level. That's what I talked about to, with Dr. Dr. Patrick Sun Xiang on right, side. and but it's to increase that uh, the 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 spike the memory of the the body. It's like, oh yeah, I've seen this before. So you produce a lot more of these T memory cells in addition. Right. Uh, T helper cells and all these other things, which uh, which uh, I'm I'm not an immunologist, so I don't right, want to but speak are out you, of terms. Do you think are you seeing line jumping on these people who just decided, well, I'm just going to get one before there's no, a rush? No, but you know what's interesting is if you look at the uh, you know uh, Walgreens and you know other drugstores. Mm-hmm. I looked the other day. There's so many open appointments now for that yep. uh, the booster shot. I was tempted, you know, I had a break in the operating room to go down right. and get mine because I got vaccinated in December for you my first right. shot and January for my second. And again, looking at the Israeli data, we're seeing that um, they have one of the highest rates now of Delta. I think it's like 650 per million mm-hmm. population. And that is a population that is 80% vaccinated. Right. But Which, who you have know, gone along and wear masks, et cetera. Correct. There's confounding variables, though. So keep in mind that the people who are vaccinated first were the elderly, the immune mm-hmm. compromised, et cetera. So we may see that as a confounding variable in why they're getting sick in Israel. But I would pay attention to the Israeli data. Um, there's a few researchers. And get a booster shot. Presumably. I would definitely get a booster shot when you are able to. Yes. Right. So there's so much stress also going back to school now you're talking about with Delta. Mm-hmm. I just interviewed the head of the one of the teachers unions, Randy Weingarten, um, uh, and particularly in Florida, she was pointing out there's seen a surge in cases. Your 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 wife is a school teacher. She, yes. she teaches school. What kind of conversations are you having about this? Although well, schools have proven to be pretty safe in terms of transmission. That's correct. I mean, not only my wife, but my daughter is a school teacher, too. She is just starting uh, teaching in Jackson, Wyoming. Um, And my wife teaches second grade and my daughter teaches preschool. Um, You know, it's interesting in Marin County, where I live, um, we've had very good, um, you know, safety measures. In fact, Dana went back teaching in October uh, Mm -hmm. of last year. She was one of the earliest districts to go back teaching. Now, they did it via cohorts, and they had plexiglass barriers. Of course, they found that those don't seem to help. Yeah. In fact, they may hurt. Uh, yeah. All of the kids are wearing masks, every one mm-hmm. of them. Uh, all of the teachers are wearing masks. They, they don't eat lunch together. They you know, eat lunch separately. So they, they put in basic safety um, um, you know, protocols. Uh, yeah. protocols yeah. Ventilation, and the, better and, ventilation. And better ventilation, keeping the doors open. Uh, and they try to do outdoor teaching as much as they can. I mean, my wife is a big uh, garden uh, advocate, and she is doing a lot of outdoor education about monarch butterflies and gardening, et cetera. And um, so they're trying to do, you know, integrate those kind of things in the curriculum. Um, but I have to say, I asked her uh, this morning, when she went off to work, she started last Wednesday, every single teacher is completely thrilled that they're back in the classroom. Zoom right. teaching was very hard. And yeah. I don't think it served children well. No, it did not. Uh, and it certainly didn't. I think a lot of teachers resigned or retired because of it. Yes, you know? there's a, there's so. a, we'll be talking about the nursing shortage, but there's a teacher shortage too. Yeah. It, was, it was a really stressful year for them. So so in terms of going back, you're not worried about that. Just take the booster and do the same kind of safety things. And it's schools for are teachers, shown to be... For teachers, teacher, obviously, for teachers the, the ch- uh, children aren't vaccinated. The, there's yeah. no children under the age of 12 uh, who who are you know have been so vaccinated. what what to do for parents just go wear the masks yes wear the masks uh, practice uh, you know don't send your child to school if uh, he or she is sick mm-hmm. uh, and remember that signs of COVID are very simple I mean it's an ad, it's a coronavirus right so mm-hmm. you know the four the coronaviruses are the common cold virus so it, it mimics and it looks because it is a coronavirus so. Children, fortunately, don't seem to have suffered the consequences as much as adults have as far as morbidity and mm-hmm. mortality. Delta may be changing things a bit, though. So we're seeing more children hospitalized with coronavirus. And they can't get, and that, of course, will be into the, into the fall. Right. 
Right. Cold. That's right. That's right. In the fall, it will get worse because more people are inside. Yeah. Right. And we'll see. But on, on good news on that front, the Secretary of Education said that public schools who want to institute mask mandates can't be denied federal funds. Of course, there's a huge argument over mask mandates, people screaming back and forth, the science being thrown around. It's still confusing at best, um, no matter what the pressures are facing from the state government. Governor Greg Abbott of Texas lost the battle to uh, ban mask mandates in the state Supreme Court. He just did. Let's talk about this guy. He tested positive. And then four days later, he posts this video. Let's let's run it. I am now testing it negative for COVID. I'm told that my infection was brief and mild because of the vaccination that I received. So I encourage others who have not yet received the vaccination to consider getting one. My wife also continues to test negative. I will continue to quarantine at the recommendation of doctors. During that time, however, I will continue to work on issues that are important to the state of Texas, including opening infusion centers for antibody therapy treatment across the entire state of Texas. What's an infusion center? Uh, boy, I'm glad I didn't see that before. I would have gotten nauseous. Um, so, <laughs> What's an infusion center. An infusion center. I get, I get a, this treatment of the of these antibodies. That's a great thing. It's, right? it's what Don, well, maybe. I mean, it's what okay. Donald Trump got when he yeah. under compassionate use. Uh, the company Regeneron uh, mm-hmm. makes, as as well as other company Eli Lilly, etc. But Regeneron is the one that you hear most in the news. Is a company. Uh, that makes a, a uh, antibody cocktail that is consists of two monoclonal antibodies that they uh, package into one vial and they inject them into people. Now mm-hmm. you have to go to an infusion center for an intravenous injection. Uh, you know people don't talk about that, but that's not cheap, right? Mm-hmm. To go to an infusion yes, center. Expensive. So even though the drug might be supplied uh, free of charge, uh, I doubt very much going to an infusion center, getting an IV sitting in a place for an hour and a half to monitor side Better effects. Better to take the free vaccine, correct? That's really... Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like the, you know, it's like the whole cows leaving the barn thing. I mean, just why shut is the door. He focused, but, what do you think, why is he focused on the infusion centers versus the... I mean, I mean, he, I did, can, he did say to go get vaccinated. He certainly did. Which is good. I mean, although he didn't used to say that, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and neither did, you know, Trump initially, et cetera. I mean, all these people... Uh, anti-vaxxers. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they created doubt. I mean, this should not have been politicized ever. The same thing with mask wearing. It should not have been politicized, but it was. Uh, and as a result of that, we have all these problems now because people are, uh, you know, following. And they're political. focusing on these antibody treatments. Florida, Missouri, Texas are promising millions yeah, of dollars. These are expensive treatments, Kara. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the actual. Are they effective? Su- um, they, they work if you get the antibody. They work 80% of the time. If you get the, if, within 10 days of having the first infection, uh, or, or knowing that you have an infection. So you have to not be hospitalized pretty much when you get them, but before you're hospitalized. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's data to suggest that once you're hospitalized and on oxygen, et cetera, they actually may be harmful. Right. Uh, so people. it's confusing. So the idea is get a vaccine. Get a, get vaccine. a vaccine. It's just, it's it's a no-brainer and it's it's so much less expensive. I mean, each of these antibody treatments can cost anywhere from, you know, the actual true cost is about, you know, 5,000 bucks. Mm-hmm. I mean, Regeneron is a multi-billion dollar company. And, and so it's like making, doing diabetes treatment when you could start with don't eat so much sugar or whatever. Don't eat, they type, don't have a bad type, diet. For type, type 2 diabetes, yeah. Right, yeah, for type 2 diabetes. So yeah, it's just, uh, the, it's a it's a thing that comes way too late. Correct, right. It's like it's like having the cows leaving the barn, gone in the fields, and then buying a whole bunch of segways and riding around trying to round up the cows. Uh, okay. It's silly, you know? Right, yes. Okay. All right. So, but, but when, what, what's really, but when you notice all this as a doctor, and I'm going to get to nurse in the next story in a second, but the politicization, now medicine has been politicized over years in lots of different ways, and there's political sure. elements have entered it. What is this like as a doctor? Well, it's frustrating. I mean, when you're treating people who could have with a, you know, t- I mean, a, a lot of prevention stuff is treatable. I mean, massively, you know, morbidly obese people who you know, you know, they can't always help it. It's, it can be an endocrine issue. Um, uh, a lot of things that it's frustrating. Smoking is a good example. I mean, don't smoke, right? It's not good for you. But, you know, we right. treat these diseases uh, as a result of, uh, you know, not taking into account the, the value of prevention, uh, right. exercise, you know, the, the common sense things. But in this case, as, it's vaccines. In this case, it's vaccines and social distancing and wearing a mask and common sense thing. Now, Keep in mind that masks, you know, don't necessarily, uh, they're not, especially surgical masks, not N95s, but surgical mm-hmm. masks aren't that good for reception of, vac- of, of uh, viral particles because they've got mm-hmm. holes in the sides, et cetera. Mm-hmm. N95s are a lot better, obviously. 
But what you're doing is a reverse of the tragedy of the commons, essentially, which is you're wearing a mask to protect other people from you. That's why we wear masks in surgery. When I, you mm -hmm. know, I've been wearing a mask every day for the last 31 years as an anesthesiologist. We're trying to prevent my spit from getting into your wound. Um, yeah. Not so much that I'm afraid that yeah, your bacteria is going to come into this. me. But that is very important to keep in mind. You are basically just like wearing seatbelts. You're preventing accidents. You are doing things uh, Even if for you the could good. Die right. If it's not, yeah. Yeah. That, it's, right. it's so weird that it's gotten to be this that, on something like mass. By the way, I haven't gotten one cold this in the past eight years. Neither months. have I. Neither have I. One. I mean, because, you no. know, again, we're wearing, you know, people are wearing masks in, in, in areas. They do that in Japan and China. I mean, this is very common yeah, in Asian countries. Yeah. I'm going to be um, wearing masks a lot more. But I think I look good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would. I mean, I think, uh, you know, even in, you know, counties that have, uh, re you know, removed the mask mandate, I'm not going to the grocery store without a mask. Um, yeah. You know, or places like that. And we have to wear them in the hospital. Forever? Forever? Well, that's a good question. I think, you know, through, and I, you know, I, I think when I came on Pivot last time, I, I had a quote that was in one of those little red, you know, mm -hmm. rimmed things in New York yeah. Magazine. I said, you know, COVID right. is going to be with us. You know, 2021 is going to be Endemic. the year of COVID. Yeah, it's right. going to be here. And you said all year? And I said, yeah, all year. Well, I'm yeah. going to extend that into next year. This is going to last a couple of years. I Endemic. Mean, Endemic, you know, the 1918 flu lasted until 1920. I mean, yep. uh, that killed a lot more people. All right, people. well, Jeff, you're but a bummer, okay? I know, I'm a bummer, bummer. sorry. All right, let's go on a quick break. When we come back, our second big story, and then we'll talk to a friend of Pivot, John Carreyrou, uh, when we get back. How exciting. Support for this show comes from Virgin Atlantic. Let's talk travel. Whether you're setting off on a business trip or taking that well-deserved summer vacation, we're always so focused to getting to our destination that we forget to embrace the journey. Well, when you fly Virgin Atlantic, it serves as a reminder that a memorable trip begins right from the moment you check in. That's why they offer loads of special touches to truly elevate your time in the sky, such as in-flight movies, music, TV, and podcasts that you actually can't wait to dive into a snack bar that you can help yourself to at any time, and an iconically British high tea high up in the clouds. They've got these little salt and pepper shakers that you're encouraged to pocket as your first souvenir. And if you're feeling really fancy, how about a wine tasting experience at 38,000 feet? Uh, so really, we're just getting started. From their brilliant next level service to the food, the entertainment, the planes, the clubhouse, the crew, and so much more, these are just a few of the many special touches that make me love flying with Virgin Atlantic. And I do. I fly Virgin Atlantic a lot. Check out virginatlantic.com for your next trip to London and beyond. And see for yourself how traveling for business can always be a pleasure. Support for Pivot comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software, including Jira, Confluence, and Trello, help power the collaboration for teams to accomplish what would otherwise be impossible alone. Because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200, or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR, and legal, can stay connected and moving together as one towards shared, company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Jeff, we're back for our second big story, zeroing in on the many terrible side effects of the pandemic, a nursing crisis reported in stark detail in the New York Times over the weekend. One in five ICUs are at least 95% capacity, which makes it difficult to maintain standard of care. Nurses have already been in the trenches for 17 months, and the work isn't letting up with the Delta variant. Nursing shortages are a problem long before the pandemic. As you know, you've talked about it with me. But now a lot of them are retiring, moving to non-emergency room jobs, or just getting out. They're also sick of people. You know, you've seen all these amazing interviews with them where they just are so tired of treating people who won't be treated. Uh, I just want to uh, play a quick clip from a video log of a Tennessee ICU nurse, Catherine Ivy Sherman. Not everyone has the luxury of being able to stick their head in the sand and ignore the world around them. I am so tired of the people 
who are creating their own reality where COVID is not a problem. And then they have the audacity to get mad at people like me when we try and show them that, no, this is real. You are the one living in a delusion. You don't get to be mad at us for figuring out how to deal with the reality. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. There, there, well, there's a lot of that, Jeff. But I've, I've yeah, seen so it's, many it's stories. It's either stories of people who wish they had gotten the vaccine and are dying or these these uh, healthcare people. So how yeah. are you uh, and your colleagues seeing this play out in hospitals, especially with nurses who are so critical? You've always been a, a supporter of nurses compared to most doctors. They're, they're the backbone of the hospital. Nurses and, nurses and techs. I mean, I don't yeah. want to you know minimize. I mean, I just... I just give a shout out to the nurses that I work with. I mean, uh, one of the nurses I work with, Kara, is a huge fan of yours, uh, Katie Hacker, and, and I, mm-hmm. I want to say hi to her. Um, but these people are tireless, tireless workers, um, and they uh, deserve everything that they get in terms of compensation and uh, you know consideration from the hospital. The problem is there is a huge shortage of nursing, and mm-hmm. some of it's retirement. As, as yep, the, the half a million retirement. They were and, baby boomers. There's not a short right, term. There's an easy right. fix. And, and uh, training nursing schools are struggling to train. Yeah, that's right. There's not enough faculty to teach nurses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for a long time, you know, nurses were recruited from other countries. A lot of Filipino nurses in San Francisco because there's a shortage of nurses, uh, American nurses being trained, uh, and we're seeing that in our hospital. Uh, in fact, m- it, it directly impacts me in the sense that my surgical schedule uh, has turned into a more of a horizontal schedule to a more vertical one. And I'm routinely working late into the evening, 9, 10, 11 p.m. every night just to get through the elective surgical schedule because Mm -hmm. we have to close down operating rooms because we can't staff them. Uh, This is true of hospital beds. I mean, even though hospitals might not be full to capacity, they have to have nurses to staff the beds. Right. And uh, this is a problem. Yeah. So what what are the long-term options? Well, we have to train more nurses. Um, I mean, uh, you know, maybe we can solve two problems and start recruiting Afghani nurses, you know, from Afghanistan, yeah. uh, you know, you know, as, as, as immigrants. Um, I think that it's a difficult problem because it takes years to train a nurse and it takes m- even more years to train a specialist nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, we're behind the eight ball for, you know, many, many, many years behind. So I, d- I don't know the solution. I mean, throwing money at the problem seems to be what they're doing right now. Uh, you know, traveling nurses, um, you know, who go from place to yeah. place. This are is getting... work under, con- for people who don't know, they work under contract rather than at a particular hospital. It's correct. It's, there's a real, right. phen- there's bidding wars for these travel nurses. I mean, they, I mean, I'm hearing numbers, uh, you know, $150 an hour and up mm-hmm. uh, for some of these nurses. I mean, that's crazy because this is the problem is the nurses who live and work and are permanent nurses don't get paid anywhere near that. Right. Uh, and so what they're doing is it's emptying out hospitals in places that you most need it. Underfunded because, areas, right, which what, are I mean, the hotspots, right? Right. What if a Mississippi nurse or a, or a nurse from Tennessee is looking at California and saying, I'm hey, you know, I people, can make $150. Right? I'm, I'm going to come to California. And believe me, I've seen an influx of nurses from those states uh, mm-hmm. working as travelers. Um, they're all wonderful people, and they all are very compassionate and caring people, but there's a limit. Right. And so what can you do? So money is not necessarily a good option. It's a good thing to pay people more, but it's it, it creates all kinds of weird incentives. Yes. What is, what, doctors are obviously affected by this. Is there anything particular that doctors can do or should be doing or the federal government? Well, doctors can write letters to, to congressmen and to senators, I suppose, um, and get involved in, you know, local politics. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we can support our nurses by not being jerks. Uh, that's one of the biggest things that, uh, you know, just to respect and, and uh, it's a collegial environment and, and, you know, the old school of doctors being the captains of the ship, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's, you know, that's gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I have a great relationship with the nurses in my hospital uh, because we all understand what our roles are and what, how we contribute. And uh, nurses are an amazing uh, bunch of people. They're just amazing people. What would you say to someone who is thinking of doing this? What would be this pitch? What would be the pitch you would make to them to do it besides here's some more money? To be a nurse? Mm-hmm. I would say it's a, it's, a, it's a people job. It's a job where you can use science and your skill. Uh, and, you know, you're the frontline uh, person dealing with patients. You're, you're, you know, you're a healer. Although, what do you um, say to that woman and her, she's like, had, had, she's had it. She's out she of Fox, I would say, I, I, out of Fox. Yeah, she's out of it. I, I, don't, I don't blame her. It's exhausting. I think we're in the, in the middle of the crisis. I think that there's going to be a lot of post-mortem uh, analysis, not to use a medical pun, on this crisis when it's Is over. Is a medical pun? Well, kind of, post-mortem. Okay. Yeah. 
All right. My last question here, if we get to John, um, there was a doctor in Alabama who refused to treat people who were unvaccinated. What do you think about that? I, I had I had mixed feelings. I'm like, oh, OK, mm. that makes sense. You know, you I mean, people talk about, you know, I'm writing a piece right now, actually, on the, the misunderstanding of what the Hippocratic Oath is. Um, I mean, as a physician, you know, I didn't sign up uh, to say I'll treat some people and not others. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I listen, I routinely when I worked at SF General in the in, in trauma, I routinely treated people with, you know, swastika tattoos and murderers. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can't look at that. You have to treat people as people. I mean, that's what we do. Right. I mean, yeah. I, Even I, when they're I saying, said, what do you think of this doctor when he did this? I mean, I, he had a very cogent argument about why he didn't he want to. Did. I mean, I, I understand his argument, but I think that, you know, unvaccinated people are unvaccinated due to, to uh, ignorance. Uh, and they've been fed this ignorance by, you know, people who should know better. You know, people like, uh, you know, Ron DeSantis and, and, you know, Abbott and Trump and, you know, people in the administration. I mean, uh, it's it's just nakedly political and 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 uh, you know to generate votes among their coalition. I don't know what it's for. But did you ever think as a doctor you'd be dealing with that kind of thing? No, no. I mean, you no, were but, counted. But I that do one. remember. I you know I I was I I was in medical school during a lot of the early HIV you know AIDS crisis, mm-hmm. uh, and you know I came out then. And to me, there was no question. There was no issue that you treated these. You know, these, these are people, right? Mm-hmm. And even though we didn't know a lot about HIV when it and it first came out, um, you know that didn't uh, you know that didn't stop anybody right. that I know, any physician I know from treating them. And so you still will, no matter what. Yeah, treat. Everybody. I will treat anybody, uh, no matter what, whether they're vaccinated or unvaccinated, because that's what I do. Okay, let's bring our friend of Pivot. John Carreyrou. John is an award-winning investigative reporter and author of the best-selling book, Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup. He was the first to break the scandal of the blood testing company Theranos in 2015 in the Wall Street Journal. I've done a long podcast with him about it, but he's got a new podcast out this week called Bad Blood, the final chapter about the Elizabeth Holmes trial, which is about to start. In the years leading up to this trial, things have gotten complicated. A missing laboratory database. There are a lot of people who would do anything to destroy all that. Fractured relationships. The notion of being abused, perhaps mentally, by by an older man. And... Total plot twist. Obviously, she was going to get pregnant. Holmes is accused of massive fraud and lies and the capabilities of her technology. John, it's good to have you back. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. I brought a doctor. He's related to me, but I, I brought a doctor to help. <laughs> hey, John, me how you doing? With this. this is my I'm brother, good. Jeff, Dr. Swisher. So let's just start with, you know, you've reported on the story from the beginning. Uh, what new information should we expect to see come to light in the podcast? Tell me about making this and where we are now. Put Set, set the table for us for Holmes and what's going to happen. Right. So we're on the eve of her trial, which starts next week, August 31st. Uh, Jury jury selection is August 31st. And uh, this is a trial that's been a long time coming. Um, You know, I first reported uh, on this in late 2015. So it's been six years. Uh, The wheels of justice have turned especially slowly here. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, We're going to see Holmes walk into that courthouse in San Jose. One one big question is whether she's going to be Carrying her uh, newborn and a baby Bjorn. Mm-hmm. Um, she will. Uh, there have been, you know, I talked to a lot of people connected to this case and a lot. Uh, There's a lot of uh, cynicism about the timing of this pregnancy. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll see if that, you know, if there's theater around that that plays a role in this trial. Um, in terms of the podcast, yes, there is new material in the sense that, um I, I got a lot of uh, I got my hands on a lot of new material since uh, I wrote my book, which was published three years ago. Uh, basically, I got my hands on uh, almost every SEC case exhibit. Mm-hmm. As you know, the the SEC did its separate civil investigation that resulted in a settlement with Holmes, but the uh, Balwani, her her ex boyfriend, never settled. So that case is still ongoing. The SEC case overlaps a lot with the criminal case, at least one aspect of the criminal case, which is the investor fraud charges. Right. Um, so the those SEC case exhibits gave me a lot of insight into what's coming. Um, one of the most fascinating uh, parts is. Um, this file with uh, thousands of text messages between Sonny and Elizabeth that span about five years. 
Oh, some yeah. are redacted, but most are not. And uh, those text messages, which are the subject of uh, episode three of my podcast, give you insight into their relationship. And uh, right. and as you know, and we can talk about this, their, their relationship is going to be front and center at this trial. Right. So let me, uh, so I'm going to give Jeff ask a, qu- a medical question in a minute, but from what we know, what will her defense look like? Is she going to testify? Well, we don't know yet, but it looks like from, uh, you know, filings that have come out, it looks like a central part of her defense is going to be to allege that uh, her ex-boyfriend, who was the number two of the company, Sonny Balwani, uh, was her Singali, that, that, you know, he had oh. this psychological grip on her. They may even allege that he abused her uh, uh, physically. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are certainly going to allege that, you know, he had a, a hold on her psychologically, that she was in his thrall, and that as a result, she kind of lost sight of right and wrong. No, and, he's and, not being, he's, this is not his case that's coming, correct? Well, they were charged together, but right. the, their cases were severed uh, because, precisely because of this, because they've turned on each other. Mm-hmm. And so he's going to be tried after uh, she's tried. Uh, right. at the beginning of next year. Uh, so it, it looks like, I call it the Svengali defense. Yeah. Um, it, it looks like she's going to try to shift a lot of the blame to Sonny. Um, and, so she'll uh, have to testify. She can't just assert it. She's got to say know, it. Again, we don't know, but I would bet that she does testify because I think it's not going to be enough for uh, a psychologist who examined Holmes um, to go on the stand and, and you know, testify to to. Basically, the fact that that Sonny allegedly abused her, I think the jury is going to want more than that. The jury is going to want to hear it from her. And I think a juror is going to want to see her go on the stand and explain exactly what this abuse uh, was all about and and how it it led her to participate in this alleged fraud. Uh, Jeff, question? Well, I mean, I'm just amazed that she doesn't go on the stand um, and uh, test, you know, and basically try to say that she's insane by basis of sociopathy and severe personality disorder. Okay. I mean, I, I'm not a psychiatrist, <laughs> That's a question. And, and I have never examined her. So no, as a physician, not. it's unethical no, for me to say that. And However, you know, I mean, Carrie, do you remember uh, back in 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 um, all things digital, all things yeah. the D conference that she wanted mm-hmm. to come, she and did. you asked me very early on about Theranos, and I just basically said it's insane. I mean, if you told me that an alien race from ten thousand years in the future came back and gave this technology. I would have believed that more than the technology that they presented. All right, ask a question of John, the expert. Well, I mean, why do you think that no scientist uh, or no physician ever signed on uh, with Theranos at the beginning and blew the whistle on it? Well, there there were a lot of um, experienced scientists and, uh, you know, PhDs who joined the company at various points. And, um, you know, the, the reason they weren't, any whistleblowers earlier uh, in the, in the history of this company is one that the stakes were a lot lower when um, you know it was a company in stealth mode that hadn't get, gone live with its technology that hadn't mm-hmm. you know gone to the marketplace and wasn't offering its blood test to consumers. That only happened in the fall of 2013. That's when the stakes got a lot higher. Ten, ten uh, years into the life of the company, mm-hmm. um, and uh, then it took uh, about a year and a half, two years for. You know, one whistleblower in particular, the, the former lab director who had just left the company when I contacted him to, you know, uh, gather up their courage and and blow the whistle. Um, you know, why weren't there whistleblowers earlier? I, I would say it's also because, um, you know, litigation was always in the air. The threat of litigation was always in the air. At Theranos, um, Elizabeth had sued employees early on in the early years of the company. And uh, everyone knew that Boys, you know, was the attorney. David, David Boys was the yeah was the attorney for the company. Um, yeah. She had also sued Richard Fuse, a, a childhood neighbor, alleging that he had stolen a patent. Sonny was uh, who was kind of the 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 guy running the company day to day was very aggressive and you know firing people all the time and and screaming at people. So there there was a very toxic workplace and i think there was a lot of fear of retribution yeah. and in fact i saw it firsthand when i was you know doing my first Indeed. stories for the wall street journal and then when i went on book leave even to to report out the book a lot of people you know were scared to speak to me because holmes and and Bawani had not been indicted yet and they worried that uh, they may they might not be and that they'd come for them yeah. Um, and so I, I had to do a lot of handholding and, and mm-hmm. you know, we, convince a lot of people to to uh, 
One of the things that to was become sources. Yeah, one of the things that was very was the idea of it. You know, Jeff, we talk. I get blood tests all the time. They're very onerous. Yeah. Where is the technology right now? Or have you continued, John, to follow where this tech? Because this is there's no technology here. Correct. There's nothing to right. Save. I mean, to to this day, no one has been able to do what she claimed she had uh, achieved, which is to do uh, hundreds of tests uh, off a tiny pinprick of blood. You know, from from a fingertip. Um, it, there's there's two basic problems with that. One is that uh, capillary blood, which is the, the medical term for blood that you get from a, a finger, is less pure than blood you get from okay. a vein in the arm with a syringe. And it's polluted by tissue and cells, and uh, those, those interfere with um, uh, certain tests. Uh, the, the other issue is that there are basically four big types of blood tests. Um, and when you've used your tiny sample of blood to do, say, a handful of blood tests from one of those four categories, you've exhausted your sample. There's no sample left to then use the completely different methods and laboratory instruments required by those three other classes of blood tests. No one has solved uh, this issue to this day. You know, 2021, she was making these claims in 2013, 2014. To this day, no one has solved this. Jeff? Well, that, that John, that goes to my point is that, you know, early on as a physician who basically uses, I'll just take one example, potassium. I mean, potassium is a, you know, ion in the blood, which is critical uh, for cellular conduction, uh, neurochemical conduction, cardiac conduction, et cetera. If the potassium is off by, you know, one or two milliequivalents per deciliter, I cancel a case. And the error bars in that are very small. And if, if, you know, something, if you dilute a sample out like 50, 100 times, you have to increase the error bars by that same amount. So we knew this was nonsense from the very beginning from a physician standpoint. And then, like you say, you're talking about ELISA tests, electrochemical tests, you know, antibody tests, all these, it's just not, it, physics is impossible. There is no physics on the planet Earth that allows, uh, you know, her to do what she said she could do. And this was known at the beginning. And that's my point is why did no doctor come in and say, this is impossible? Uh, most of them tend to be very respectful and they wait for data before um, they start, uh, you know, making public claims. And so most, most of those people who were being quietly skeptical were waiting for some sort of study or some sort of data to, to come out before um, they said anything. And, but, you know, when yeah. I when I started my investigation in early 2015, one of the first things I did was I I called you know the chairs of laboratory departments at uh, big medical uh, academic centers. Um, UCSF was one of them, and uh, you know these guys uh, over there were telling me immediately that you know that they didn't believe uh, that this was possible. Um, and and in fact, in my first story that was published at the end of 2015, I had. Uh, one of them expressing very strong doubts about the uh, feasibility of the technology. Yeah. So what happens beyond Holmes herself? You know, this idea of the reason we, we didn't cover it is one, Jeff warned me, and two, I didn't think it was technology and I didn't think I knew enough about it. But what will this mean for Silicon Valley's sort of fake it till you make it culture? There's lots of people who have done things that are fraudulent, obviously not someone that has impact on people's health. Um, but what do you, what, what, what's the result of your, book what what is the conclusion do you think your podcast and the book and this final chapter is going to to make if she's do you believe she's going to be convicted or if yeah, she I mean, isn't I, I what think, is that um whether this has an impact on the fake it till you make it culture of silicon valley i think is the central theme here um uh, you asked me if i think she's convicted i still think she's going to be convicted if I had to bet on it, because I think the prosecution has so much uh, written evidence, documents, but also tons of witnesses. And there's a part of the case that's that's very hard to defend, which is the patients and the erroneous blood tests that they received. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that if she is convicted, then uh, potentially this will be a wake up call in Silicon Valley uh, for venture capitalists and especially for young entrepreneurs that you can't uh, you, you can only push the envelope so much that you you know, if you hype and you exaggerate to the point that you're outright lying, then it becomes uh, securities fraud. Um, and and especially if your product is not software, but uh, it's a medical device uh, where, you know, lives are in the balance. Uh, if, on the other hand, she's acquitted, which is certainly a possibility, um, then I think 
this culture is going to continue. Uh, there's not going to be a course correction. I think it's probably only going to go get worse. You'll have a, a bunch of um, mm-hmm. young entrepreneurs running around Silicon Valley saying, yeah, you know, I, I sort of pushed the envelope, but look at Elizabeth Holmes. Look, look at what she got away with. Um, she ended up doing no prison right. time. And I'm, I'm not as bad as she is. You know, I'm, I'm keeping things uh, more under control than she is. And I have one more last quick question. Why her? Because there's so many people. I mean, you can, some of the stuff isn't illegal. Some of these entrepreneurs do. Like it isn't like I'm thinking of WeWork, nothing illegal. He told them what he was doing. You know, it was all out in the open, but it was something. It was a lot of P.T. Barnum kind of stuff. Why her, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I I think the the difference between a a WeWork and a Theranos and and, uh, all these other Silicon Valley companies where entrepreneurs also exaggerate is that um, this was a medical mm-hmm. device. You know, this was a company that was operating in the healthcare arena where the stakes are extremely high. Um, it's not a software. It's not, mm-hmm. a, a, it's not a smartphone app. Um, if you release a, you know, a buggy version, um, you can't rely on the first people to use it to, to iron out the kinks. You know, um, uh, if you're, if you're mm-hmm. putting out a, a blood test, a uh, finger stick, test uh, with a device that doesn't work, uh, then lives are being affected by that and lives were affected by that. And we're going to hear about, we're going to hear that from about half dozen patients at trial, uh, one, one of whom mm-hmm. was falsely diagnosed by Theranos with HIV uh, when she was perfectly healthy. Um, oh, wow. You know, a couple other patients uh, had uh, viable pregnancies and were told uh, that, that they'd lost their babies. So those are, there are real really uh, stark real world consequences to, you know, adopting the software culture and applying it to uh, medicine. Um, and there's more to that to come, by the way. That's, you know, is that no, what I you're mean, working I, on? I this? think what there's more of that to come it? in the sense that Silicon Valley, it used to be, you know, Silicon Valley was the computer industry. And increasingly, we're seeing Silicon mm-hmm. Valley set its sights on other arenas, uh, such as, you know, uh, mm-hmm. self-driving and, um, you know, drones and smart homes and, and medicine. Um, and, uh, yeah. you know, if, if entrepreneurs from Silicon Valley keep applying the, the fake it till you make it, the software ethos to these new arenas where lives are actually, you know, at stake. I mean, if you, you think about that Uber uh, car that ran over a woman a couple mm-hmm. of years ago in Tempe, Arizona, yeah, so there are very real, real-world consequences to some of the things that um, Silicon Valley, you know, is doing these days. It's no longer just software or computer hardware, and so yeah, I, I think it's a trend that 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 convergence of these other industries with Silicon Valley is going to continue, and I think it's going to uh, potentially create more of these situations, which is why I think it's important for there to be a guilty verdict in this case. Um, uh, otherwise, this won't be a cautionary tale. So we're going to watch this podcast. It's going to go on until the the case That's is right. ended, correct? Yeah. This bad blood, the final chapter. And where's the movies? There were like not, there was a movie Kate McKinnon. There was right. Jennifer. My book um, was optioned uh, by Legendary uh, Pictures mm-hmm. uh, and by Adam McKay. And uh, the the movie's mm-hmm. still in development. We have a screenplay uh, that will probably uh, get touched up by McKay based on what happens at the trial. Um, Jennifer Lawrence is still attached um, to Lawrence, to play home. Attached, she's attached, and right. yeah, it's still it's still moving forward. Um, McKay's uh, production company and Jen Lawrence's production company will produce. Uh, the studio is legendary, um, and I'm actually I'm actually expecting some some news uh, on that front in the next couple of weeks. All right. Well, we will be listening to Bad Blood, the final chapter. People can't get enough of this story. She's become some sort of symbolic icon in a way that's really fascinating. And watching her walk into this courtroom, I think she hasn't changed one little bit, I suspect. Yeah. That's my feeling. So, uh, Sorry, Jeff. Thanks for your book. Yeah, thanks for thank your book, you John. So that was much. a fantastic book. And it was very well researched and uh, from a medical standpoint, extraordinarily accurate. So thank you. No, thanks very much. That's great to hear. All right. Thank you so much, John. Thank you. All right, Jeff, that was fascinating. God, I am such a huge fan of his. He's really, he did an amazing reporting job. What, he's a reporter. He's a great reporter no matter what he covers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one more quick break. We'll be back for wins and fails. Eurovision is here. 
This year's contest gets underway this week in Malmö, Sweden, but this year's contest comes with a dose of controversy. I'll give you one guess as to what people are mad about. Yes, correct. It's that. Organizers of the Eurovision Song Contest say they are assessing whether Israel's entry breaks the rules on political neutrality. I think it's a shame. I think there's no way that that Israel should be able to participate in Pro-Palestinian protesters are taking to the Swedish streets. More than a thousand Swedish artists, including Robin, have called for an Israel ban. Some European politicians are joining them. Charlie Harding from Switched On Pop joins us this week on Today Explained to help us figure out if Europe can sing its way out of this situation. Okay, Jeff, wins and yes. fails. All wins right. and fails. What do you All got? Right. Well, for wins, we uh, okay. we already talked about two of them. I think that uh, the big winner are, are, are the teachers and the nurses. Um, I think that uh, specifically, you know, of course, near and dear to my heart because of my wife and daughter. But the teachers have really, um, I think, are the big heroes. I remember when we started with this COVID thing, there was the nightly howl for the doctors and the caretakers. Uh, I think we should reinstitute a, a nightly howl for uh, teachers and for oh. nurses because they need it. Uh, they need right. our support and they're they're my big win. All right. And what's your fail? Oh, there's so many this past week. I mean, I, I you know, I wanted to say that the media, uh, how they're portraying the Afghan withdrawal uh, and, you know, trying to lay the blame on Biden is, is I think that's a horrible fail. Uh, yeah. just, you know, Your mom you know, is I, doing that, just so you know. Yeah, of course, I know she is. You know, you know. remember in 1979, uh, when the Soviets invaded Afghanistan, I was a sophomore in college. Uh, and, you know, there was a history before that, obviously. And, you know, friends of mine who uh, may may or may not have worked for the CIA uh, went in, were with the Mujahideen, uh, who mm-hmm. were the, what, freedom fighters, right? Well, that's right. the Taliban that we know today. This is such a complex history. And I think the media is not doing anybody yeah, there's a lot of visuals service. that are yeah that are, i mean it's just heartbreaking what we're seeing but yeah. but that's i think the big fail is how they're basically simplifying it i mean keep in mind trump made this deal in may of this past year with the taliban uh and i mean biden has, was given a giant steaming cauldron of shit and he said don't drop this well mm. nobody could not have dropped this and uh i'm not saying that well you know i, it, I don't know if that's true i think they're well <laughs> listen i think that i think that uh you know certainly as president, he's responsible for what happens on his watch. And I think that some of the, the messaging coming out of the administration was not good. Uh, yeah. But but the Afghan problem is uh, very complex. And I think that um, the fail is of the media trying to portray it in a more simplified manner. The, the other fa- the other fail is is, is DeSantis and, and, uh, and Abbott. I mean, those guys are just losers with a capital L. Okay. All right. And I give my win is the 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 FDA approval for the Pfizer BioNTech coronavirus vaccine and the others are to come. Um, I got that vaccine. I actually interviewed the creators of it, and I actually I actually emailed them to thank them for it when I got it. Um, and uh, and uh, I plan to get a booster and everything else. I think that's really the win. And I think I hope they get vaccines for young people, younger people. Uh, when is that coming for people who have children under twelve, Jeff? Um, I, I'm going to guess it's not going to be for a while because they have to get enough, uh, uh, yeah. like I mentioned about FDA trials, it's not going to be for several months, if if not longer, before we have an mm-hmm. under uh, 12. It'll be age 5 to 11. They do this in cohorts. Mm-hmm. So the next cohort is going to be 5 to 11-year-olds. But I wouldn't yeah. anticipate we're going to see it until late, you know, maybe mid next year. Oh, wow. That makes me worried. I have small children, as you know. Yeah, I know you do. Yeah. She's, yeah. she's gorgeous, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Jeff, I really appreciate it. Thank you I so much. I appreciate for doing being this. here. I mean, I yeah. hopefully that uh, I made some sense and I didn't uh, did. confuse people. Yes. And you also took the place of Andrew Ross Sorkin, who, whose power went oh, out in, in the uh, Henri. I think it's yeah, what, a, what an august company. You've had some great guests. I do miss uh, Scott, though. I think I really miss Scott. Everybody does. But, you know, I having Preet Bharara and having, uh, yeah. you know, George Conway and yeah. all these people. We and Stephanie Rule. And you. Ben, ben Smith and uh, Baratunde. And I mean, you, my amazing fine people. brother, my fine brother. Yes. Well, I'm always I'm always happy to come back, Kara. All right, great. We'll be back on Friday, by the way, for more. I think uh, Sorkin is probably coming back for that. Go to nymag.com slash pivot to submit your questions for the Pivot podcast. The link is in our show notes. Jeff, do you have the script and you can read us out? I do. So I do. go ahead. Go for I it. I will. Today's show is produced by Lara Naiman. 
Camila Salazar, Evan Engel, and Taylor Griffin. Ernie Endradat engineered this episode. Make sure uh, you're subscribed to the show on Apple Podcasts. If, if you're an Android user like I am, check us out on Spotify or frankly, wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you liked our show, recommend it to a friend. I know I'm going to recommend it to all my friends who are going to get sick of me telling them about it. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York <laughs> Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back later this week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. <laughs>